Hey, what's up? Welcome to Project Freelance. My name is Kane Agonio, and this week on the podcast, I am joined by a friend of mine, DJ Codebreak. This guy is a DJ and hype man for a rapper named Futuristic. If you haven't heard of Futuristic, he has a new album out right now. It is called I Am. You should go check it out. You should check out all of his music, absolutely, but definitely check out I Am. It came out about six weeks ago. We're going to be talking a little bit about that, but we're mostly going to be talking about life on the road, touring, tour stories, and how DJ Codebreak has made a living while being on the road as a DJ and hype man. I've wanted to talk to this guy for a little while and decided to reconnect over Instagram, over social media. And uh, so I truly appreciate you coming on the podcast this week. Before we get into it, I wanted to let you guys know, down in the description, there are a bunch of affiliate links to things that I recommend if you are a creator, if you're trying to create content, video cameras, audio equipment, all kinds of different stuff down in the description. Backpacks, if you're traveling, if you need a camera bag, check it out down in the description. There's a bunch of Amazon affiliate links. I get a little bit of kickback if you guys use my links, so I do appreciate that. And if you guys want to support everything that I do as far as creative work goes, so that being the podcast, my music, photography, videography, anything like that, if you guys want to help support what I do, you can head over to patreon.com slash just the letter K. Over there, you can get perks like signed photo prints, discounts to merchandise, uh, Skype calls every month. We can talk about music, photography, business, whatever you need to talk about, whatever you want to talk about. You can do so by hitting my Patreon. Thank you guys for listening to this episode of Project Freelance. Let's get into it. DJ Codebreak, please introduce yourself and what it is you do to the audience. My name is DJ Codebreak. I am a freelance DJ slash producer and... Uh, I make most of my money doing tours across the country slash world um, for Futuristic, but I work with many other artists. Um, I've been de- doing it for about seven years now. I've gone on probably 50 to 60 U.S. tours, um, three world tours, and in the downtime, I work with um, kids with autism, and that fills up my free time. It's rewarding, and I enjoy doing it. Wow, I had no idea that you did that. That's amazing. You're such a good person. I love you. Oh my God, that's so cool, dude. How did you get into that? Uh, that was a random occurrence, actually. One of my friends was like, um, you know, he had a job at the dispensary. All the medical stuff happened out here in Arizona. And he was like, we're looking for people at the dispensary. And I was like, all right. And he's like, go on um, Indeed, fill out a resume and find us on there. I was like, all right. So I went and did it that night. And I couldn't find them on there at all. But while I was on there and I already made a resume, I was just scanning around and looking for jobs that sounded exciting and just was tossing my resume out there, you know, not even thinking. And this company called me the next day and I had a 30 minute conversation with them about, you know, being a provider for special needs kids and and just people in general. I didn't really know it was going to be kids at the time. And uh, so I guess I aced the phone interview and didn't know it was a phone interview. I was just kind of talking, telling them what I do and stuff with the music and things like that. And um, they were like, all right, we'll come in tomorrow and pick up your new hire packet. And I was like, just confused because I didn't even know I was interviewing. And then I went in there, picked up my packet. And a week later, I started working with a kid and I've been with him over a year now. And it's just been great. It's uh, really challenging, but also really fun. Um, And like I said, rewarding because at the end of the day, I'm making a difference even if it's in one person's life, you know, it goes a long way because this person's expected to be a part of the community eventually. And if I can have a hand in that, then it feels good to do that. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. That's amazing that you do that. And like, I, I've got a brother who's got some special needs. And so, I mean, like, I appreciate that a lot, you know, like you going out of your way to, cause you're right. They are expected to be a part of the community and there's got to be somebody there that can help guide them, you know, and, and be there for them. So I think that's really rad that you do that. Yeah. It's cool. It worked out because he's uh he's into music and stuff too he's really he can hear a song and um like tell you what key it's in and if he hears it a couple times he can almost play it on piano um like almost right away so it's cool to have somebody i work with who's also into music a little bit it's not his main focus but it's cool that he has a little talent there and you know likes it when it's there oh yeah absolutely and it's amazing that you i'm sure have the capability to help like push him in in the right direction when it goes to music stuff so for music how long have you been into it like what got you into music in the first place um i actually started doing music when i was 12 i'm 32 now um i was just you know dicking around with my friends and little punk bands in the garage in middle school you know on and off was probably in like four or five different bands up until high school and started actually gaining momentum with one of my bands. Um, I was the lead vocalist, uh, Screamer, whatever you want to call it. Um, you know how hard it is to tell people about that. Uh, yes. But, <laughs> like, you know, I sing, but also, you know, it's not, you know, singing all the time. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I was doing that. And um, once I moved to Arizona, um, I kind of fell off with my bandmates and was just by myself out here. Um, I moved out here to do air conditioning. It was just a good opportunity when I was 18 um, to make some good money. And my life wasn't really going anywhere where I grew up. So I just kind of left and um, packed all my stuff up in a week, moved to Arizona. And when I was by myself, I realized I was still into music and wanted to fulfill that hole. Even though I wasn't really musically talented at all, I'd been around it and had an idea. And um, so I started buying production equipment and just researching and reading books and um, you know, at that time, YouTube wasn't really a thing, so I, I didn't get to go to YouTube University and learn how to make beats and stuff. It was just old old books and magazines and, you know, things like that. And just learning from hearing music, you know, listening to somebody's sound. Um, I grew up in Virginia Beach, and uh, Pharrell's from there. He's been one of my biggest influences just in life, um, just because I saw him play with a few people from there in front of, like, 20 people back in the day like I'm talking back in the day and to see where he's at now it's just always been cool to see somebody where I'm from do that so you know I would emulate what he whatever he was doing in sounds but also you want to make it your own so when I got into production um the next step from that was like okay how do I get my music out there live again or like I wanted to be on a stage again because I was just used to being a front man but I didn't really want to be you know like a a rapper or a solo singer or anything. I didn't really feel like I had that much talent. So I was looking for other artists to work with. And I found myself in the DJ world because it was like, you know, as a electronic producer, um, that was right about the wave when people were taking off, you know, DJing and the only way to DJ um, your own music, you know, you had to make it yourself and get out there and play some shows and play other people's music and then sneak your own song in there here and there and see how people react to it. and things like that. So I got my feet wet with that. Um, I was actually trying to be a DJ on cruises um, right before I met Futuristic. I was applying um, through Disney to do all that, but their their process is crazy. They don't joke around with people they, they want to hire. Um, Disney doesn't play games. So I'd, I had to send in like an audition tape and I was like, I just feel like that's really awkward. And I didn't really have like a highlight reel at the time. So I kind of stopped there. But actually during that week is when I met the contact I met 
to actually meet Futuristic and get that going. So when I linked up with him, I had like an audition that I didn't even realize was an audition at the time. I thought I was just hanging out with him and kicking it. And then he told me the next day that he had a couple other people come over earlier in the day and, you know, DJ in front of him and stuff like that. And he called me and was like, hey, we got a show in four days. So I signed up with him and that was seven years ago. And that has brought me incredible opportunities and friends and just, you know, I've seen things I didn't think I was going to see in my life from doing that. Wow, man. I can't believe that you've been with him for seven years. That's crazy. Like, did you ever expect like your trajectory to like take off like that? Um, Not at all. Actually, I didn't really, I try to live by just not having expectations in life. It's a hard thing to do, but I've just slowly been teaching myself that over the years to not expect anything out of anything because you know, you know, say you go into a movie, somebody told you about it and said it's really good. Already in your head, you're expecting it to be good. So if it's not, you're going to walk out of there like, oh, I didn't like it. But if you just go into it, you know, open-minded and no expectations, you can have your own opinion on it and base it off that. So when I started with him, it was just kind of, you know, I was just gaining experience. I wasn't really even making any money. I told him I wasn't trying to make any money. If it was there, it was cool. I had a job at the time. I was painting houses, making, you know, 15, 16 bucks an hour with my roommates who all started a painting company. So I was, I was chilling money wise. Um, but I was just looking to go out there and have fun and meet people and play music and just get back out there. And when I started with him, I just happened to start right when his wave was really taken off. So when I started with him, we had a show almost every week or weekend, and it just kind of went into tours after that. And we didn't stop touring for almost four or five years straight. It was we only had the winter time off because nobody really tours during the winter time. So um, from like Thanksgiving till I don't know about the end of February, we were home. But the rest of the year, it was just out there doing festivals and touring with people in the spring and the fall, um, just constantly. And then that's how I met other people that I was able to work with. Also, it was just connecting and networking at shows, and you know, just being out there. Tell me about touring for the first time. What was that like for you? Like, you know, you <laughs> lived in this town, you moved to Arizona, and then suddenly you're on tour for, like, months and months at a time. Like, were you in a van? Were you, like, what was your living situation like? Our very first tour um, was definitely in a van, but we had done a couple little runs, just me and Futuristic, um, where I was driving a rental car. We would fly to, like, the Midwest because that's where he was originally based out of. Um, and, you know, had a little more popularity than all over the country at the time. So we would fly out there, stay at his dad's house in Bloomington, Illinois, and just drive out from different cities from there and just kind of hit four or five shows in a row. And then when we actually got on our first tour, we were in a van, and uh, we were just hanging out with them, with Dizzy Wright and them. And it was one of those things where when you're there, you're just kind of taking it all in, and it's it's not really, I was, I was loving it. You know, I live for this. I could sleep in a van all day. I, I want an RV when I'm older, you know, I want to live that road life, um, forever. But, um, the, the very first tour was funny because I was kind of in my shell at that time. And, um, the tour manager came up to me after the first show and was like, look, dude, I know what you look like and how you want to act. You know, like I'm covered in tattoos and, um, I'm out of place in the hip hop world. You know, I look like the punk rock kid. Um, but I look like, you know, the sound guy or something most of the time. But uh, he he had a talk with me after the show and was like, look, I know you're that crazy white guy, blah, 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 go out there and do it. And we were opening the show, so I was kind of holding back 
on, you know, my energy and things like that. But he was like, you know, the harder you guys go, you're going to get the crowd hype for, you know, the headliner and stuff like that. So he put it in my head and kind of just unleashed the beast. And since that first tour, I kind of just go out there and don't really think about my body or my health. And I just go and let the music take over and, you know, I deal with the pain later or whatever the situation is. <laughs> it just kind of takes <laughs> over. But the very first tour had me hooked. It was, I knew that that's what I wanted to do because I didn't really have any goals um, as far as DJing goes as until it really started happening. Then I was able to set goals and see goals that I didn't know were there. Um, and that first tour really did it. And I was like, this is what I want to do. And we didn't stop doing it for a long time. And we moved up from, you know, buses to um, actually our second tour, we had an RV and it was like the straight out of Breaking Bad, you know, meth lab on wheels. Uh, there was 15 people in there. We we thought we could go out and headline our tour in the middle of winter time. We you know we thought we were hot shit and, you know, we did a couple tours. So we were like, let's go do our own thing and took all these people and it ended up being a nightmare. It was just all bad. And um, so after that, we kind of took a step back and we're like, all right, let's just get back on with other people, start opening up for them. And, you know, we built back up again to being on, like, a bandwagon and then the buses. Our first bus was actually Warp Tour, uh, where I met you at. And that was that was a dream. Once we got to that, I was like, oh, this is, we peaked, you know. Like, it was, I, it didn't get better than being on a bus at that point. Because moving up from the vans and the rental cars to the crappy RVs and all that, like, it's just luxury when you're on a bus. Yeah, and talk about, for people that have never gone on tour that may want to start touring, talk about what it feels like that first time you're in a bus it's i feel like it's similar to the first time you get to go backstage at a show oh yeah it's a whole new world when it when you get on there it's it's small but it feels so big you know especially if you did move up that ladder of you know sleeping in a van with 15 people and laying on your buddy's shoulder just to take an uncomfortable nap to having your own bunk like i i didn't even know what to do with a bunk i'm like why don't we have a bed you know, and everyone's like, well, it's not that comfortable. I'm like, but it's a bed, you know, it's like a place to lay down and sleep. And on, on Warp Tour, actually, I had the the coffin bunk in the very back lounge of the bus, which I guess isn't a popular thing because the engine's there and nobody wants to sleep there. <laughs> and I, I grabbed it right away. You know, I was like, I'm, I'll take that spot. And I, I figured out really fast why nobody wanted it. It was, it was loud back there and it's the back lounge. So that's where everybody's always hanging out. Somebody's always doing something. But luckily, I'm not like a big sleeper, so... I'm usually up hanging out with everybody, just kind of taking in as much as I can on tour. That's that's what I like to do is if we go to a city, I'm not like, you know, sitting on the bus and, you know, really doing anything other than just trying to see as much as I can in a day because you're only there for so long. So, you know, the first couple of times you go to a city, you do all the touristy stuff, you know, the, the sites you want to see. And then after that, you, you know, get kind of comfortable, you know, your spots, you're like, oh, I got to go get this burger from this place. You know, you start building like a, uh, I don't even know what to call it, like a book of just your spots that you have and must-see places. If somebody, you know, if somebody brand new on a tour, like this tour we're about to go on, we have three people who've never toured. So it's going to be fun to show them the places that, you know, we know and and like on tour. And then, you know, they can find their own at the same time too. But being on, on something like that for the first time is, is just mind-blowing. And I know it's even crazy when you bring guests on. They're like, you know, you live like this and... Some people, you know, it's not for them. It's not for everybody. Um, a lot of people see the life and they want to live it, but it's it's a really tough life. Like most people only see the really good things and a lot of it is really good, but there's tough times. You're, you're cramped up with people. You got to get along with everybody, even, you know, they're annoying you or you've been with the same people for 60 days straight. You know, nobody's going to have 
all good times for 60 days straight. I don't care who you are. You could be the best of friends, but your best friend will get on your nerves too. It's kind of like having siblings. Yeah. After a day, day about 42, you're pretty much done with the tour at that point, <laughs> but you still have those last couple of days to go. What is it like for you? Like after, you know, four weeks in, six weeks in, what is your mental health like at that point? And how do you cope with being on the road? How do you keep mentally uh, healthy? Um, mentally for me, isn't really, um, that much of an issue because I'm, that's where I feel more, more comfortable. Um, and when I'm out there, my mind is free and you know, it's, that's my escape. Um, a lot of people, you know, it, for them, it's, it's more work. You know, if you're a tour manager, your, your work is, you know, you're stressing, running around, figuring out what people want and need and yelling at venue people and blah, blah, blah. But for someone in my position, um, I only have so many things to worry about, so, I can get my stuff done and be able to relax and just take stuff in. Uh, but mentally, um, you know, I need my space from people. That's a big thing for me just in general, um, in life, you know, all my relationships, I just kind of need space at times and people understand it or they don't. And, um, so that's a big one for me. You know, I, I recently just quit smoking cigarettes, but that was for me was a big one where, you know, if I needed some space, nobody really around me smoked. So I would just go outside and smoke. And that was my, five, 10 minute barrier, you know, I could take a couple of breaths and get away from everyone's noise and things like that. And then go back to it. Um, I play a lot of video games. Um, so I bring my switch with me. Um, if I need to, you know, just zone out in the world and play something else, um, for a little bit, um, uh, I have my music on. Um, that's a big thing. Usually just in my headphones or on the bus in general, we always have something on. Um, not everybody likes what I like to play all the time, but that's okay because I don't always like what they want to hear. So that's one of the things we get into, you know, just just music taste. I can't listen to just hip hop for a whole tour, you know. But um, I my my thing is physical is more. That's what I worry about and try to take care of more. I try to eat as good as I can, um, and I'm a big beverage guy. Like I'm I'm good on the kombuchas and teas, and I, I try to stay a lot of a lot of liquids in my body while I'm touring. Um, just to not get sick in general, you know, juices, smoothies, things like that. We usually have a blender on the bus. Um, but I, I drink a lot on tour. So physical, I have to counterbalance that, um, you know, with the healthy stuff, with the intake of all the bad stuff I'm doing, you know, alcohol wise. For sure. Um, what about like going home? Is that, have you ever dealt with, you know, things like post-tour depression or have you oh, ever- 100%. Like, talk about that, like what that is for people that have never heard about it. It's a real thing. Um, my friends kind of joke around about it, um, but anybody who's actually toured and especially toured multiple times, it's a serious thing. And I don't think it's um, addressed, you know, as, as seriously as it should be. Um, I'm not saying I, I want to start a huge campaign about it, but I'm um, somebody. Well, could. I mean, that's that's but, why we're talking about it here, you know, because I think it's something that is very important that needs to be addressed. Yeah, definitely. Because like I said, it's real. And um, because you go from probably the highest high you can think of, um, you know, like I'm not a big drug person, but nothing beats the high of doing what you do in general when you love it. But when you're on a stage like that in front of, you know, even if you're in front of 50 people to I've played in front of 15,000 before any number in between there, it's it's the highest high you can think of when when people are saying the words and just you, you feel the energy in the room. and It's a big, big thing to have all that positive energy in a room and it's just with you the whole time. And then 
you know, you get back on your bus and it stays with you for a little while. And then you talk about it the next day and then you do it again. So it never really goes away. It doesn't have a chance to die off. And then when you come home, you come home to, you know, just silence, regular routine and silence. And you talk to your friends and they're still doing the same thing they were doing two months ago, which isn't a bad thing. It's just to you, you saw, you know, something new every single day or something definitely exciting happened at least every single day on tour, um, whether it was good or bad, but it's probably a story at least every day um, to tell. And, you know, you come home and it's just kind of the same thing. And it takes about a week or two to, to come down from the tour. But when you, do, you decompress from everything and you get back into your regular thing, it kind of hits you and you're just like, you don't know what to do really because there's not anything you can do except to, to go on tour again. And that's, you kind of chase that and um, wait for that to, to happen again. So for someone like me who, you know, just waits around for that call that's like hey we're going out on the road you know and i'm like all right there it is i feel good again like even knowing i have a tour months in advance helps me get through my regular life and the routine you know because it's kind of like when you plan a vacation if you plan it eight months in advance you're like oh you know you're counting your calendar down you're looking forward to it and it's the same thing you have that to look forward to um but it is a hard thing to deal with um the only way i can ever deal with it is talking to other people who have been through it. And like I said, going out on the road again, um, we've been home for quite a bit this year and it took me a while to get used to it. Um, my relationships suffer from it, um, just because people don't understand that it's hard for you to go back to regular life when you do something like that. And if you've been doing it for years and years, um, it doesn't matter your celebrity level. It's, it wears you down physically and mentally. And so when you come home from that, and you're just, you know, you realize how regular things are. I don't mean to sound that in a bad way, but just in comparison, it's, you're just like, that's not the same. Like your problems aren't that big. You can do it. You know, like we had to, some of the stuff you deal with on the road sounds like stuff out of a movie or a book. And then you hear somebody else's problems. That's like, you know, John spilled the water cooler today. And you're like, okay. And you know, it's just like regular, you know, you're like, whatever, like, tell me something cool. And if you just feel out of place and out of your little element, you know, until you get back out there and do it again. But I want to hear more people talk about it because it's, it's almost addressed like a joke. Um, you know, like, oh man, I'm, I'm home and I'm depressed, you know, and like everyone throws that word around nowadays and, you know, and it has, I feel like it's lost its weight and it shouldn't have because any, any form of it is serious. It could be people take it as a joke or take things lightly, but if someone's really feeling it, doesn't matter how you apply it, it needs to be taken serious, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. And thank you for talking about it. Um, I'm sure, you know, a lot of people needed needed to hear that, that you've also been through something like that. It's nice to know that other people have been through it. When I got off a warp tour, that warp tour that we met on, it took me like six months to get home. You know what I mean? Like mentally, like I wasn't like it. I lost a relationship over it. Like I just didn't understand what was going on. I had no idea. And then it finally clicked and I was able to address it. And I was like, wow, this is warp Tour is is really brutal. <laughs> yeah, that that was one of, if not the gnarliest tour I've been on for sure. It was a dream of mine to do it. Um, like I said, because growing up, I was in punk and hardcore bands. And with my bands, we always, you know, wanted to get on Warp Tour and we tried to do every little contest they had and stuff like that. And never thought I'd be there um, in a hip hop scene and DJing on Warp Tour. And it was cool because everybody on the tour, you know, it's all the metalheads and, and punk guys and legends and, and newbies and everything come up to you and, and the guy I DJ for. And they're like, you know, it's cool how you guys have 
more energy, if not the same energy as these guys who have five, six guys in their band, you know, and, and like that happened probably the third or fourth day of Warp Tour. So hearing that just, you know, solidified my happiness being there because it was like, all right, we're not just here, you know, we're actually like earning our way here. And Warp Tour is like a rite of passage almost, you know, it's it's launched huge artists and um, kept legends going for years. So it's one of those things that to be even the smallest part of it, like I'll never forget that summer. That summer was amazing. Yeah, and and it goes for not only the artists, but it also goes for crew members. You know, crew members that do Warp Tour can get gigs for life from oh, it. Oh yeah, you know, definitely. Yep, the connections on there. Um, I remember getting there and thinking it was really political. You know, there there was clicks and things like that, and it was just people who have already been established and you know been on it for years, and we were brand new to it and also out of place because we were hip hop. So it was kind of like we struggled a little bit, but we made our connections and. Didn't get along with every single person, but for the most part, you know, I have probably 40, 50 contacts slash, you know, really good friends and people I've met through there, you know, that I've seen since then multiple times or when I'm out on the road, they'll come and show love at a show or, you know, if they're on tour, we, we show up and try to see everybody we can that comes through Arizona just because, you know, we kind of like when people do that for us. And if we're in your city, you know, we'll come out, come hang out with us. Is a mutual mutual contacts built through there. I'm sad it's over, but I think with what they what they're doing, it's going to work out. The you know the smaller handful of shows across the country with bigger artists yeah. and things like that. Yeah, I hope they. I definitely hope they keep that going because I think it's going to keep that legacy alive even longer. You know, um, so when for you did it go from just you know going on tour and trying to like make it and financially support yourself doing it to being able to full-time support yourself when was that transition um it was probably my i would say let's see it was probably a few years back i actually um had been doing the same thing for a few years you know and then it hit the discussion of like i'm really doing this um you know money was coming in from other artists that i was working with and so you know i kind of was like looking at it like maybe my pay should go up. It wasn't ever really discussed because I'm not a money motivated person by any means. I love doing what I do. Um, money's kind of the bonus for me, but also I have bills to pay and a life to live, you know? So it came to a point where, um, it was just, you know, I talked about it with the people I was working with and we figured it out. And I realized what I was worth when I was getting offers from other artists and the offers they were giving me was, you know, two, three times what I was making at the time. And like I said, also, I'm not money motivated, so I didn't just jump ship from my team. I stayed and had a conversation about, you know, I'm not leaving because of money, but I do need to make more. And then once I settled that and got all that straight, I was comfortable and haven't had any complaints since. Um, You know, so at that moment, I would say when I got the other offers, I realized what I was worth and I kind of it got real for me. It was like, wow, these other people are willing to pay me this much then I'm really doing something right. And, you know, people want me because of what I'm doing. And I even went and worked with other artists and they would tell me, you know, we need you to do this, this and that. And I'm like, well, you called me. And so obviously you like what I do and I can adapt to what you want, but also I'm going to bring what I bring to the table and I can't just be a replacement DJ, you know, like if somebody else's DJ was sick or quit two days before a tour and they needed me, like I can't be exactly like somebody else but I can do some of the things they do, but I'm also going to put my own spin on it and flavor 
because that's what DJing is. You know, everybody can DJ. Um, everybody is a DJ these days, but it's a matter of what you do on top of it and how you present it and what your style is that's going to separate you from other people because it's, you know, not a hard thing to do, but it's definitely a hard thing to perfect and master. Yeah. Um, when it comes to like beats and things, what are you looking for when it comes to making your beats? What are you inspired by? Um, talk a little bit about your process for beat making. Um, when I'm making stuff, I'm usually in a darker place. Um, even to me, if it, if it's a happy song, somebody else will hear it and they're like, Oh, it's dark, you know? And I've just, I use it to vent. Um, I don't really make a lot of music for a lot of people. Um, it's kind of a personal thing I do. I've put music out, um, you know, I've done remixes, I do sounds and things for shows um, that we've done in tours, like um, after this actually we're working on a, a whole tour intro, audio intro for the tour coming up in the fall. Um, so it's kind of, you know, but the stuff I actually make, I'll just get in a mood, you know, I'll wake up in the morning and feel a certain way and just base it off of feelings, not necessarily sound composure or, you know, what notes I'm going to use, it's all just fine sounds and I like how they feel. And if somebody, you know, with music theory wants to come around and say, it's not this, it's not that, that note progression or whatever words they want to use. I'm like, that's fine. You know, it sounds good to me. It feels good to me. And I make music based off that. It's a, it's a form of therapy. Um, I'm getting more, um, confident and putting stuff out and wanting to put stuff out now that I have, you know, somewhat of a name built and people, you know, like what I do and the little things I've sprinkled into shows are like, oh, what, what was that? Where can I hear that? And I'm like, all right, people like the little things I'm doing, you know, I can sample them and put them out there and play 20 seconds of something I made. And if people go off to it, I'll be like, okay, I can work on that song and actually make it something. Um, but a lot of my stuff is just um, synth based, you know, kind of cinematic just it, I want people to hear and see at the same time if that makes sense like I, I like to close my eyes when I'm done making a song and be able to see what I just made um, through the audio um, not like I already saw the picture while I'm making the song I just like to hear it and kind of see where my mind wanders visually and that's how I base if I made a good song or not, if I can see it and it ha it almost tells a story, you know, it progresses to um, just make you feel things and, and up and down waves and, and progression and things like that. And then also, you know, you got to make stuff that people want when it comes to it. Like that's probably the hardest thing for me uh, production wise is just, you know, people want simple hip hop beats and, you know, a couple instruments here and maybe a sample and like I'm just too ADD for that. I need to change it up and have different sounds come in and out and make it weird. And, you know, it's, it's hard, but you have to do it when, you know, you got to simplify your stuff. And if you want to sell beats to people and, and put your stuff out there, you know, you got to make what they want. Also, you can't just be like, well, this is my sound and this is what I make. You know, you got to cater to other people, especially if you're trying to make it and get up there and do it. You know, there's producers and artists and everybody out there doing tons of things they don't want to do but you got to do it to climb the ladder and get up there and you know make it work what were some of the goals you had when you uh started to see success from djing did you set any goals and reach them um warp tour was actually one of them because we had the offer for it two years before we actually went out in 2017 and um I don't really know the politics of it. I'm like the last person to know all that stuff. But I just know we didn't get it. But when I knew that that was an offer, I was like, wow, that if we can make that happen, 
you know, and I think part of the reason Futuristic took it was because he knew it's something I really wanted to do and we could knock it off the list. And that was one of them, definitely. Um, but goal-wise, I, I feel like I still haven't reached mine. Um, there's still some places I want to go um, in the world and just play shows. Um, Japan's one of them. I haven't been there yet. Um, I really want to go to New Zealand. And it's cool to like want to go to these places because they're not just travel goals, but nothing's better than going to a place and being able to do your job that you love and play for people in a different part of the world, you know? Like, I've been to Europe a couple times now, and it's just amazing that music has that connection with people, and somehow they know every word in English but can't talk to you in English, you know? It's it's just a cool barrier to break when you when you talk to somebody. You don't have to talk to them. You can feel it through the music and know that you're connected. So I would say probably the biggest one right now would be to knock off the few places that are still on my list to travel and play shows. Um, I want to get my project done. It's been in the works for probably like two years now. I've just been slacking on it. Um, actually have a an album out of my music. Um, I just get in a place where I just don't feel like it's right and I go back and scratch everything and or restart over. And So that's probably the biggest one is to have my own project actually come out. And then um, when it comes to the people I work with, I just want success around me because that makes me successful. You know, if everybody's doing their thing and I'm I'm able to help and back them up from behind the stage, you know, it's just going to keep me in work too. So everybody that I work with, um, I just want them all to win, whether it's somebody I'm working with right now or just other artists because I can talk to an opener at a show and he might just be some kid in a city and in four years he might be huge, you know. So if I can connect with him and be cool and you know, maybe play a set for him and, you know, keep in contact. And then if he needs some work, who knows where that person's going to be, you know? So if, if I can make other people, you know, successful and pass on knowledge or whatever I can do to help, then I feel like it'll come back at a different time in a positive way. Absolutely. So talk about uh, futuristic moving out to Arizona, having the house out there. How has that been for you guys collaboratively? I mean, as a squad, as our team goes, it's been amazing because it's a it's a giant workplace, but it's also a giant play place. So it's kind of, you know, we're able to shoot videos here, um, but also get the music done. Um, he's able to do whatever he wants, basically, because um, it's two houses actually next door to each other. And he knocked down the wall in the middle of them. Um, so it's basically he just walks next door um, to his one house. And that's the one he like lives in, you know, and nobody really parties over there and, you know, everything's nice and neat. And then the other house, you know, you walk over and it's, it's bright and colorful and that's where the studio is and that's where the roommates are and that's where the game room is and everything like that, the basketball court. So it's kind of, you know, a little bit of work and play right next to each other and he's able to come and go and do what he wants. I think production wise, it's, it's making everybody work a little more because it's, it's all right there. We don't have to drive to the studio. We don't have to, you know do anything as far as videos go we i mean we still do but we don't have to there's a whole green screen room here so we can make anything we wanted to um video wise um barring effects and all that but it's it's been really cool i live um probably 15 minutes from the houses so i have like i said i have my space um so coming home from tour i don't i don't come home and live with them but most of the other people on the team do um so for them I don't really know how that goes all the time because I'm not here, but they seem to all get along. You know, they have their little average roommate stuff here and there go down. But um, I think it's really good for our team just to have everybody right there because, you know, when somebody's working, you know, when somebody's not. 
and you can push other people too. Like, hey man, I thought you said you were going to get this done. Oh yeah, let me get on it, you know, versus not seeing that person and not knowing what they're doing. Yeah, I think I need something like that. I'm, uh, I live by myself right now and it's like to the point where I want the, I have the motivational work, but I want that extra push from like having other creative roommates around. And so I'm, I'm thinking about like trying to give that a try, like maybe in a, in like six months or a year. So I was kind of curious to hear about how that kind of went down as far as like creatively, uh, that goes. So that's cool to hear that it's super productive for you guys. Um, so I am, came out like six weeks ago. How's the response been to that? And, uh, talk a little bit about the feedback. Um, I know it's been overall positive at first. It was a little bit, um, shaky just because it's, it's newer stuff, you know, um, that's kind of been the, the looming cloud over us for like, I would say the last year or so it's just been, you know, what can we do to stay on top of the waves of music that come and go? Everything happens so fast now. You know, one week, this is the sound. Next week, it's that sound. This week, people want to hear, you know, quote unquote, real lyrics. Next week, they just want to hear bars about, you know, this and that. And then the week after that, they want to hear about the strip club. So it's hard to, you know, stay on top of all these topics. But with this one, I think the main thing was, and it's in the title, you know, it's I Am, and it's actually a split project. The second half's coming out September 1st. Um, and the second half is called Zachary Lewis. And it's kind of a split between, you know, like I am myself, but I'm also futuristic. So he's on this project kind of just doing what he wants to do. And then, you know, if you're on board with it, you're on board. If not, there's a whole catalog of old music you can go listen to and, and videos you can watch and all that. I mean, we still play some old songs in our sets, but um, we're trying to kind of get out of the older stuff, even though they've gotten us to where they've gotten us. But um, creatively, it's hard because once you gain a fan base um, that are used to your sound and, and how you do things, and if you switch it even the slightest bit, everyone seems to get mad at you. And it's like, you know, a lot of our fans we've had since 2012, at that time they were like 15, 16. You know, they've, they've grown up now too. Not all of them want to hear that same stuff. So we have to grow with our fans. I think that's important. Um, and I think it's also important for our fans to grow with us and not be closed-minded and think that we're just going to sound this way forever. Some artists do that, you know, some artists ride their wave of, you know, I sound like this and that's how I'm going to always sound and you're not going to get anything different from me. And I think a true creative is always trying to change and stay on top of different, you know, waves and not necessarily ride the waves, be the first one to ride it and be ahead of it and start the wave. That way other people are like, oh, I want to be a part of that instead of jumping on what's already happening. Because nowadays, if you jump on a wave, it's already too late because by tomorrow it's going to be gone. So with this project, I think um, everyone was a little worried, you know, because it's such a different sound with the producer, Boylord, who did, you know, 95% of the project. Um, he came in with a different light on it. And musically, it's just so creative. They were, we were making stuff, you know, um, all throughout the house with cans and buckets and, and pieces of wood and just everything you can think of, just recording everything. And then he was going in and just being a wizard and creating these sounds and, and melodies and things like that out of it. And we had hella creative people come through um, different artists, local, most of them were local. Um, uh, the band we rock with the most, the color eight, um, they came through and did a lot of the, the sounds on there and their friends and connections came through and did like background sounds and vocals and things like that. It was, it's a big collab collaborative effort, um, just between friends and, and homies and just people around us. 
and I think it's it's really good. Um, I'm really happy with the project at first. Um, I was kind of, you know, on the fence about it just because I'm looking at it from a live aspect. But um, now that I've heard everything and everything's been out for a while, and I'm excited for the tour and, and the sounds, you know, I'm more of a, I'm a hype man, you know, and a DJ. So a lot of the songs are more melodic and, and deeper and, and he sings a little bit more. Um, so it kind of puts me back, you know, not being super hype and this and that, but I'm down for that. You know, it's okay. I don't have to be jumping off the walls and, and doing all this stuff the whole time, if, especially if that's not where he's at, you know. Um, so I think it's going to be a different show, this tour. But also, like I said, we're doing some of the older stuff and some of the newer stuff is super hype and, and, and it's got energy and it's got a different energy live than it does on the project. So that's, to me, I don't really judge anything on a project until we play it live and I can see the crowd's reaction and feel the energy in the room, you know, because even with bands or any show you've been to, they could it could sound like shit live or it can sound better live. You know, not everything sounds great when it's made in the studio just because it sounds too perfect. Sometimes it sounds better with that natural, you know, live rawness to it. So I think with the with the newer stuff, it's going to be a great tour and I think everybody will be able to chill out and, you know, move forward and the people who have been like, "Oh, I don't like the new sound, go back to the old stuff," are going to be fully satisfied um when when both parts of the project are out and you know, there's some other things in the work that I'm not going to talk about. Um but we're pleasing everybody. We're trying to um, and we're also pleasing ourselves, you know, futuristics got to do him. And if he wants to get some shit off his chest and, and do things his way, then the real fans will stick around. And, you know, the people who want to jump ship can. And like I said, they've got plenty of older songs and videos to go back and, and keep supporting that way. They don't have to like everything new, but I definitely think with everything that's coming, there's something for everybody. There's no way there's not. As far as the studio stuff goes, are you as like a DJ? Are you getting any credits on the tracks? Are you get, or anything like that? No, not on this project. Um, I don't really do much studio stuff, um, especially on this project. Uh, like I said, it was a lot of Boylord, it, and it was great to have him around with with just all these new sounds and, and styles and things like that that he brought to it. Um, when it comes to that, I you know. I have my lane, which is, is performing live. Um, I'm, I'm in the studio a lot when things are happening, you know, I throw ideas in here and there, but where, where I come into play is, is I get activated when the show's on, you know, the load in, the load out, the actual being on stage, sound check, um, everything like that. The, the rest of the stuff, I'm kind of just there for support and, you know, throwing little ideas and perspectives in here and there. But when he has a vision with certain things, I just kind of step back and let them do their thing. And, you know, let it come out the way it's going to come out and I'll do my thing to it when it comes out live, you know? Yeah. Have you guys ever dealt with being screwed over on tour, not being paid by promoters? Have you ever had any experiences like that that you can share? Uh, yeah, there's actually a pretty funny story I have about, um, what tour was that on? Let me think. So probably like four years ago, we pull up to a show in New Mexico and, uh, one of the promoters was trying to tell us that he didn't have enough money for us when the show was already pre-sold out and there was a line around the corner at the venue. And so he's just like, I can't pay you this much, blah, blah, blah. It's going to be that much. Sorry about it. And futuristic was like, all right, man, like what's your PayPal? Grabbed his phone was going to PayPal himself and ended up paying himself the full amount from his phone and was just like, all right, appreciate it, man. Handed him his phone back. And because it, it was either that or the guy we had with us at a time was going to kick his ass. Like he was our manager slash security slash 
you know, loved to fight people. So he was ready to go. And it was like, look, you can either get your ass beat by this guy or, you know, pay us the money that you owe us and that you have because the show definitely made enough money to pay us and cover him and everything else. So that was a, it was funny just to see um, him do something like that because he's, he's about his money. He'll get it one way or the other. And, you know, we've definitely gotten screwed over on things, but they usually get handled. Um, I think a lot of that has to do with just, you know, being smart when it comes to promoters and, and booking shows and certain things um, and just being cool with people. You know, if you don't fuck people over, they're not going to fuck you over and take your money and do anything like that. So usually we have pretty good luck when it comes to that. But also, I'm not around for that for the most part unless I hear about it later. So I when it comes to the money and, and the and the business side of all that when it's showtime i'm out of the way <laughs> for sure yeah i totally get that um so talk about how social media has affected your career as a dj i would say social media helps me in a sense of if it's an advertising platform um over the last i would say two years i've kind of fallen off of it honestly i just um kind of see it as like a, a fake thing and I use it as a tool. It's not my life. Um, I use it for music. I use it to stay in touch with friends and family. Um, but I, I try not to be on it as much as possible um, just because it kind of, you know, affects you. And I, I've had relationships go south because of it. I've, I've lost friends, girlfriends, you know, because of this and that. When you're in a position of our position, you know, being quote unquote famous, you know, like I wouldn't even call myself famous, but i around my friends or compared to my friends, you know, like more than 10,000 followers on Instagram is famous to them, you know? So it's like, you know, what's it like to be famous and you must have girls all the time and this and that, like it's, it's brutal on a relationship because you know, you're getting DMS, you're getting hard eyes on your comments, you're getting this and that. And like, it's hard to explain to people that these are fans and you have to show them love back. Like not everyone who talks to you on social media is, you know, a potential, a side piece or another girlfriend or means you you did something with somebody in a different city you know like or you took a picture with them like there's there's so many ways to track people down and look at them that it, i think on a personal level it messes up a lot of things in people's lives but as a tool you can't get anything better you know like because it's connected everybody um you i can hear music anywhere in the world now from somebody who has two followers and i might like their song versus you know what everybody's playing on the radio and so I think um, as a discovery tool, it's amazing. And um, even expressively, it's, it's cool to just see what people put out there and all the, all, all the different medias and platforms that there is. Um, but I just, I try to stay away from it, um, from letting it consume my life. But like on tour, I use it a lot um, just because people like to see where we're at, what we're doing, you know, um, the funny things that are happening. And, but when I'm home, like, I'm just kind of like, I don't feel the need to post a picture of my spaghetti, you know, it's spaghetti. I don't, I don't need to show the world that, you know, like unless it's some crazy spaghetti or something weird happened, you know, maybe I'll put it on my story or something. But, um, as far as the success goes though, I've been able to have people reach out to me through it and things like that. Like even how you reconnected with me, you're like, Hey, right through Instagram. Boom. It was right there. And I had your phone number too. You know what I mean? It's like, it was just an easier way to, you know, you're, you were thinking about it. You saw it. It was boom right there. It's fast. It's easy. Um, I think it's great for things like that, but, um, yeah, it's, it's helped me because I've had a lot of people, almost everyone I've worked with actually connect me through social media at some point in time, unless I met them personally. And then later down the road, 
they re-hit me back up. But um, as far as work goes, though, a lot of it has been through social media. I met I met Futuristic through Facebook, technically. So, wow, damn, that's crazy, dude. So, tell me some what is something you know now that you wish you knew when you started? Um, that's a super good question. I would say, um, well, you got me deep thinking. I'm gonna need like some deep thinking music here. <laughs> Only <laughs> if you can out. supply. Can you supply the deep thinking music? Do you have anything? Oh yeah, I can get you something. <laughs> All right, cool. I'll put it. I'll put it in place right here. I would say don't don't hold back from anything. Like I, I tried to not hold back, but I, I really looking back on on the things that I've been through and done that there was times that I did and you have to take it all in and take everything you can you know when it's right in front of you there's I've been in cities and places around the world where I'll look back and be like man I really should have went and did that you know and and I I hesitated and and held back or had a different reason for not going or something and it it would just I would do more you know not hold back on anything um, when it comes to things like that because you never know when you're going to be back there or or in this position like i could all this could end tomorrow and i would be happy with what i've done but i've definitely i want to do more and there's more things i want to see and do in this world uh, especially when it comes to music and, and traveling and things like that so um i don't hesitate and don't hold back when it comes to things that's what i would tell myself awesome and uh plug your social media where can people find you if they want to follow you or if they want to potentially hit you up for some work Okay, uh, Instagram is at Codebreak, K-O-D-E-B-R-E-A-K. Twitter is at DJ Codebreak. I couldn't get the actual Codebreak handle because someone in Japan has it. Uh, when you go to Japan, you can talk to them. Yeah, I'll find them. <laughs> Give me like, my Give handle. Me my handle. <laughs> and then uh, I got a couple songs on Spotify. Just search Codebreak. Uh, I got some playlists on there and things like that too, so... It's all, it's all pretty simple to find. K-O-D-E-B-R-E-A-K. All one word. All right. So that was DJ Codebreak. Thank you for coming on the podcast and talking to everybody about what it is that you do as a freelance creator. I had a blast talking to you and I, you know, it's always good to reconnect with friends and I always love getting to talk to people that I've met before more about what it is that they do and what their passions are because I think it just builds a stronger connection between us. And so, again, just thank you for coming on the podcast, man. I truly appreciate it. And if you enjoyed this episode of Project Freelance, please scroll down and give it a five-star rating and leave some feedback so other people that are looking for podcasts to listen to might come across your feedback on this podcast and they'll give it a chance. Thank you in advance for doing that. If you guys are new to the podcast, please hit that subscribe button so you are notified whenever there is a new episode uploaded, which, by the way, is every Monday at 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, just in time for your lunch. I hope you guys enjoy that every week. If you guys are into coffee table books, if you like photography, if you like abandoned places, if you like urban exploration, I have a photography book out now, and it is called No Tracers, An Urban Explorer's Diary. It is a collection of photos from abandoned places I've explored all over the United States and a couple internationally. And uh, there's a bunch of stories in there about my explorations and things that I saw, discovered, and kind of felt when I was in these abandoned places. So if you want to check that out, head to justletterk.com slash no tracers. And if you want a discount, use the code spooky 
2019. Links will be down in the description. And there's also a bunch of affiliate links down in the description, like I said at the beginning of this podcast. If you guys need any of that stuff, please hit those affiliate links. It helps me out. It helps support the podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of Project Freelance. My name is Kay Anagonio, and I will talk to you guys next time. Stay strong, keep enduring, go out, and go create something.